Welcome to the Global Marketing Show, the podcast for all things international business. I'm your host, Wendy Pease, president of Rapport International and a translation expert. Come along with me today as we talk to an expert in the global marketing world about facing their biggest fears, hearing about mistakes they made or saw, discussing best practices, and sharing fun travel language and culture stories. I am so excited today to be on The Global Marketing Show. I'm honored to guest host and turn the tables to interview Wendy Pease, the president of Rapport International and your usual host. Wendy has a book. It is called The Language of Global Marketing, just like the show, but this is about the language. So we're excited. Wendy, you wrote a book. I wrote a book. <laughs> it was my COVID project. Nice job. <laughs> I know it was a COVID project, but what was the impetus for writing the language of global marketing and sharing your secret sauce with people? Well, first off, I just want to say thank you so much for hosting me on my very own podcast. I love your podcast. And so it's such an honor to have you here today. So thank you very much, Andrea, for being here. Thank you, Wendy. I appreciate that. I'm just excited to do this with you. I, I think you have a lot of secrets and a lot of good juicy tidbits about the language of global marketing. And I just want to help you share that with the world. So you wrote this book. Tell I wrote me, it. What was the yeah. impetus for the book other than COVID? Well, we have worked with hundreds of companies throughout the years and helping them with their translation, localization, globalization, interpretation, multilingual communications, global marketing. And it usually starts with the same question of, I've never done this before. How do I do this? And these are big companies that could be selling internationally. And so with the book, to me, it was very easy to sit down and write an outline of all the questions that I'm normally asked and misbeliefs that people have about, you know, English is the global language and, oh, well, I can just get anybody to do my translation who happens to speak both languages. So <laughs> I just, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, there's some recurring themes here. Why don't I catch them in a book and write them all down? Awesome. What's interesting about that to me is everyone thinks they're an expert in everything, frankly. I mean, I see that in my industry, you see that in in your industry and what it's up to us to educate. And so that's what you're doing with this book in a very real way. So what I want to know is what is the biggest takeaway for your reader? What was the big idea that you wrote it with it with that in mind? The big idea that I want people to understand is that there is so much potential in global marketing. And that's just, if you look at the population size, the U.S. is 4% of the world's population. If you look at it on economy size, yeah, we're still number one, but we're off the chart when it looks at growth rate of of, uh, gross domestic product. If you look at Purchasing power parity, which is how much extra my money can buy after paying for the, uh, no, 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 purchasing power, 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 PPP, it's called (laughs) purchasing power parity. (laughs) Is if I want to buy. 
It is, it is. And I'm so used to just calling it PPP. But if you look at buying a chicken here versus buying it in India, this it, it's so much cheaper in India. And so, it, you know, looking at all these different metrics of the world, there's so much more of a market outside of the United States and people are afraid of doing it. And less than 1% of the companies export and 98% of those are small and mid-sized businesses. And those that do export have higher revenues, higher profits, they're more stable, they pay higher wages, they're more diversified. And so they're, they're set up to last longer. So my mission is just to tell people, get out there and don't just go to English speaking countries because that's where everybody else is going from the United States. Find those markets that really want your products, do a little bit of translation and you'll get a huge ROI. Yes. And in your book, you say that the biggest barrier that people are afraid of is language. Yes. Literally it's language. Yes. Why is that a problem? I mean, when you think about it, there should be things that are other barriers like culture, but really language should not be it. And the other thing you say that I found very interesting, you just talked about it a second ago, but the companies that are selling and, and marketing globally have 17% higher revenues that those, than those who do not. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's in the numbers. It's been studied. And I cite all the sources for where the research came, but they're more profitable. Yeah, so it's worth doing. You know, the other interesting thing is that in the United States, there are more Spanish speaking people in this country, except yes. for Mexico. I found so that you, fascinating. Yes, yes. So we have million more, or no, no, more than that incredible numbers. I will say also that the language of global marketing is an, an amazingly well-researched book. There are so many facts in this book and they're spelled out graphically as well, which is my language. So they're spelled out in a way that people can understand them. So yes. well done, Wendy. I'm impressed. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. It's, I mean, I'm passionate about the topic. I'm passionate about exporting. I'm passionate about global communications. And so, yeah, it is the number one fear with languages. And oftentimes when I talk, I'll start out with a question. How many languages do you need to be able to speak or know to do global business? And I'll get two or three or some, you know, Hmm, questioning looks. And yeah. I'll say you really only need to know one because if you have a language export expert, they can help facilitate. Exactly. And so there's nothing. And I think the fear comes from people not being exposed to language or fear they won't understand, or how do I proof my brochure if I don't speak the language? But there's lots of ways you can build in to know that you're getting a quality translation. Well, and there are, according to your statistics, 7,000 languages in this world, but yeah. there are top 10. Could you share with us a little bit about those top 10 languages? And it's not necessarily the top 10 markets. And according to Wendy and her research, these are changing. Languages are growing. 
Yes. So there are six, 7,000 languages from all the linguistic studies. But if you think about them, a lot are small languages spoken by tribes or population that are isolated. And it's a real problem because we're losing those languages and we lose a lot of information from that. There was just so there's an article that's out in Medium that talks about the four reasons we should worry about it. And one is um, that you just like there's there was one country that had windstorms that could come across and they had multiple names for windstorms and in um alaska there's or um multiple names for snow because there's different kinds of snow you know so the native americans that are up there um speaking that so if you lose a language you lose a lot of that depth of concept but you know since we're talking about global marketing Really, in a couple dozen languages, you're covering most of it because people who speak those languages that are being lost are having to learn an, the, the majority language that's spoken near them to be able to function or, God forbid, watch TV. <laughs> the biggest equalizer, you know, is because people want to watch TV and so they've got to do it in the languages that are broadcast. So if you take it down to global marketing, there are probably 10 to 20 languages mostly that you want to translate into. Now, those languages can vary depending on the markets that you're going into. Now, if you're marketing to, you know, Alaska, you're certainly not going to be selling as many sundresses there. So do your research and maybe it's better to translate your material into Spanish and go down along the equator and, and sell them there. So, you know, before I tell you what the top 10 languages are, I can't do that without knowing your product and picking it. But know that you're going to capture a huge portion of the world. And just think about going into China. I mean, I hear all this bad mouthing about China, but China is a fabulous com- country. You should know because you lived there as a child. I lived there as a, I lived in Taiwan as a yeah. child, um, which they'd consider very different from China, but they sure. did speak Chinese. And then I have visited China when my mom was a Fulbright scholar. So there is a story about her in the book and how she handled translation and had to come to her daughter to That's help. Right pull her out of <laughs> the issues she got into. Um, but ch- the Chinese people are fantastic. I mean, they're so friendly and they're so, they've got a great sense of humor. Plus the middle class is rising there and they want yes. American goods. Yes. And, you know, so there's a, there's a huge market there. So rather than being afraid of Chinese or how they're going to take over the world, have, go, go capture that market and sell to them. You know, I think our fears of other cultures sometimes comes from just the unknown and not understanding. So what you are doing with your book is you're helping people be open to that understanding. I think it's really wonderful that you, as a child, you lived in Taiwan and you also lived in Mexico City. Mm -hmm. And your first chapter starts with a story about Frosted Flakes and how (laughs) you searched for those when you were a child in Taiwan. Yes, really how global companies have changed. In fact, you can get almost anything anywhere now, not all things, but any of the large, large companies are really trying to sell into global markets. So was that part of the inspiration for you to write your book was your experience as a child? 
So you know about the whole Simon Sinek and the why yeah. you do your business. And, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about languages and cultures and connecting and diversity, equity and inclusion. And so that's, that, that's my why is let's connect people across languages and cultures because I think it'll lead to a peaceful and prosperous world. But if you dig back a little bit more and you say, why, why am I like that? It all leads back to those stories. So my, my intention was to write a book to help people go international. But I found the stories make it come alive as to why um, I'm passionate about it, or it could be symbolic for the message that I'm trying to get across. Yeah. So the message about the Frosted Flakes was this cereal wasn't a big thing in Taiwan when we lived there. And we lived out in a farming community where, you know, they had never seen blonde haired kids. Yeah. And we had to go to the small town to the black market to to buy cereal and you know and I loved frosted flakes and if we got those I felt really lucky and so my point is is back then only large companies were selling internationally or getting into markets like that because it was so difficult now with the internet with the access to travel with millennials and how digitally adept they are there's it's it's really People who were curious, as you hear on all my other podcast episodes, and who are willing to give it a try, they're the ones who are exporting. So you don't have to go into black market stores to get frosted flakes. <laughs> so I wrap enough of those stories in because it ties into, you know, what I'm trying to enlighten people about on doing global marketing. Well, it's also a personal feel. So that always brings your reader in, frankly. Now, one of the stories you talked about was about smaller companies that are going global, that are really yeah. seeing the benefits of going global. And you discuss an ice cream company. Tell me a little bit about that case study and how they've grown because they've gone global. Yeah, so they're um, Bassett's Ice Cream. They're out of Philadelphia. And years ago, they decided to start selling ice cream international. So you think about ice cream, all the packaging and travel, or do they set up, you know, distribution or manufacturing? Well, they won Exporter of the Year a few years back from the SBA Association. So even if you're thinking you have a product that you can't sell internationally, take a step back think, hey, can I do this? Which is good. And they've seen their profit margins rise. They have higher revenues and they're more stable. Yes, because when the dollar is weak or the, uh, you know, like it's winter here and we're consuming less ice cream, then they can balance it off with the countries that are consuming more ice cream. Yeah, and we have a lot of clients that have under a million dollars in revenue and they're selling internationally and we see their year over year growth. Yeah, that's incredible. So it's, it's, yeah. a pretty, it's a viable business plan to go international. Yes. And the biggest mistake I'm seeing now with technology companies is they build these awesome platforms and they don't think about going international from right. the start. And so they've got problems with their technology. And when they go to translate it, they can't do it or it becomes very cumbersome. Mm -hmm. So I've seen a hand, I've seen more than a handful of companies do this and then they're struggling. So from day one, think about internationalization. I mean, there's um, a woman, Sherry, um, Sherry Williams, 
who has a company, um, my trust vault, I think it's called, we'll have to put it in the show notes. Yeah. But she, um, she had a family member that passed away. Mm -hmm. And they didn't know where all her assets were. And so handling all that she passed away early. So it wasn't all put together. Right. It was a heck of a time. So she started this technology company that um, is thinking about it from day one where people can load their assets. And so if something's going to happen to them, it's their wills, their trust, their retirement savings, everything's right there. So it makes it so much easier for a family when they pass away. So I heard about that story after I wrote the book and I ended up talking to her and she's like, oh yeah, this is something that can be used internationally. I'm thinking about it from the start as to how I'm going to globalize because this is a software as a service focused on individuals. So I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, no kidding. So I know that a lot of product companies have gone international, but your book even talks about the fact that services and software as a service and things like that can go international. There's a whole global market for it. I don't want to give away all the stories in the book because really you should read this book. It's very fascinating. But the fact that there is that market out there that people can tap into, but they're just fearful of it. How do you think people should get past that? What is the best way to jump into that pool? Just feet first. Well, first off, I'm remiss in not even talking about this at the beginning of this conversation is that there are free resources to help you from the state and federal government. There are... Step grants. <laughs> Thank you. Step grants. And they, um, they're they funded from September to sem- September each year. And there is money available. I was just talking to some step grant um, counselors, advisors, and they said that they're in a rush now to distribute the grants because people need time to use them. And September's coming up. Wow. And it's usually funded every year. It has been for the last number of years. So if you're somebody that's thinking about exporting and you're based in the United States, you can go to our website, rapporttranslations.com and just search for uh, step grants there and it can point you to the state or just go to Google and search, you know, step grants and then your state and you'll get a direct contact of who to reach out to. We're happy to help you get the grant. So that's the first place. You don't have to be afraid of money. And then if you're still afraid of trying it with free money, Heck, start listening to the people on the podcast, because basically, it all comes down to be curious about other countries and people. And then um, there's lots of suggestions on how to get good translation. So in the book, I talk Mm -hmm. about um, doing quality and how we have quality reviews and, you know, how you can put in checks and balances and who can do your translation. And, you know, we offer a hundred percent satisfaction guarantee. We've been around for over 30 years and we're happy to consult with any, everybody on anybody who's interested <laughs> um, to make sure that they, they aren't afraid and that they're yeah. saying what they mean and they can understand and, How do they handle contracts or marketing or get introductions? I mean, it's just, it's be curious and try it. Be curious. I love that. Be curious. And I will say there are a lot of ways to get bad translations there. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I, if I wanted something translated right now into Korean, I could call my former au pair who is from South Korea, but 
Is she educated in when I need to, her to be educated in? What is her level? Is she conversational? Does she understand nuances? And, and does she understand nuances in the English language so she can translate them correctly? But are they culturally appropriate? There's so much there, so much. So I'm going to tell you to read the book, The Language of Global Marketing, because you'll get the content you need there. I want yeah, to and you that. speak seven languages. I so do. Yeah, you not all of them fluently. But. Not all of them fluently. What languages do you speak? So I am fluent in Danish and then varying degrees of, of fluency from there on. Uh, but Norwegian, Swedish, German, French, Italian, and Spanish. Oh, and English. So I guess that's eight. If you want to count English, it's eight. Yeah, I do count English because I wouldn't have even known that you spoke another language. Your your accent is so clean in English. (laughs) But yeah, so it's my first language. But language is okay for me. I lived in Denmark as as a teenager. I was an exchange student, and languages are so easy and fun for me. I love culture too. So. Yeah. And you just love people. I mean, you are just such a magnetic personality. So (laughs) learning languages is all part of that, isn't it? Yeah. But that brings me to the favorite, one of my favorite parts of your book. There's a couple of favorite parts and I want to chat about them a little. Uh, So I love the untranslatable phrases and the untranslatable Uh, words because there's so many nuances in idioms and in in culture that can't be translated. So the one that I'm not going to share all of them with everybody because you have to read them. They're fun. <laughs> but one of my favorites is Kommerspeck, which is German and it means grief bacon when directly translated, <laughs> but it doesn't when it's not directly translated. It is about the weight you gain when you're emotionally eating. Yes. And so there's so many of those out there that if, if you're looking to connect with an audience in a different country with a language of global marketing, you have to understand them. So Wendy, share another one or two with us. Doesn't have to be in the book, but there are so many of those out there that are fun. I got another one yesterday. I was on a clubhouse and we started talking about it. And somebody was talking about the redneck friends that they have or lived in the area. And I was in hysterics because we had somebody on there from Indonesia. And I'm like, huh, I wonder if that person knows what a redneck is. Redneck. So I went and put in redneck in Google Translate to see what it would come up with. And in Spanish, it came up with white peasant. (laughs) So I put redneck in and put it into Spanish and then grabbed the the Spanish and I put it back into English. So it's a game I like to play. White peasant. In German, it came back as farmer. Oh, they, okay. Yeah, yeah. And in Indonesian, it just, it said redneck, redneck. So I, 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 there must be no translation for it. But you know, if you live in the United States, a redneck is somebody, you know, who lives out in the country, they have kind of an attitude, you know, that their way, um, you know, it's a little judgmental. It's very country. Um, And I was judgmental. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a certain way of talking. And there's a whole comedian that, you know, did, you know, you're a redneck. And I always thought it was because, you know, they were out and they got that T-shirt tan in the back the of their neck. Literally. It's not. It's from um, kind of like a communist thing in mining that wow. the miners wore a red bandana 
and they were for and they were fighting for equal rights and the red bandana was something that they put up to keep the dust out of their mouth um but they started getting called rednecks yeah i had no idea I didn't either. I was fascinated when I started, you know, like a word like that will catch my attention because I'm like, oh, there's got to be no direct translation. (laughs) I always love looking at the etymology of the history of a phrase or an idiom as well. One of the untranslatables that is out there everywhere the past few words is the Danish word hygge. So people don't say it right. I'm fluent in Danish, so I can say hygge. But hygge, hygge. H-Y-G-G-E. And it really is a word for a mood of coziness and comfortableness, and you're feeling well and content and happy. And we don't have anything like that in the language of of English or or probably other languages as well. But there are so many places we use it in Danish and Norwegian. We say, ah, so that was cozy and content. So, and you really say that when you're leaving a group of people that you've had a nice evening with, or you're sitting with candles and a fire going and things like that. So there's so many of those untranslatable words that are so exciting to me, but they can be uh, stumbling blocks for other people, especially when you're looking at the language of global marketing, because people don't understand them. That's and that's where I get into the book is there's not one way to handle it. There's a handful of different ways to handle untranslatable words. And it really depends on the context and the culture. So but I'm now going to have to take Hugo back to uh, Google Translate and play around. (laughs) It is absolutely fun. And I've seen it more and more in U.S. marketing over the past year. (laughs) Oh, yeah. They use there's books out about it. It's really, really fascinating to me. So another part of your book and one that I always love are the translation errors. So you've talked about a few of them. And one of them that was false was the Chevy Nova. And most people know that it's urban legend because Nova means no go in Spanish. Mm-hmm. But there were others like I was fascinated by basically Pepsi and the zombie apocalypse. So can you share that one with us? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I know so many of them. Which one was that? Bring your oh, bring your. Yeah. Come alive. Yep. Come alive. Come alive. Bring your ancestors back, from, back the from the dead. <laughs> right. Fantastic. Right. And then, and then Nick Coke didn't go unscathed either. No. Theirs was, uh, yeah, um, bite the wax tadpole. <laughs> Which makes zero sense to me. But translated, that's what happens. So right. that's what happens when somebody doesn't pay attention to culture, doesn't pay attention yeah. to how something shows up. Yes. In that language. So I find that incredibly fascinating. I love, again, how well researched your book is because there's a lot of fun in there too. So it's, it's, there's a lot of numbers or a lot of facts or a lot of reasons for understanding the language of global marketing. But within that are some fun stories and some idioms and, and some things that you can really connect to. And I tried to give it as a, how do you think about it as a strategy? How do you think about it right now? How do you put in a process and think about the future? What what technology is in there? Because I've had so many questions about yeah. machine translation and Google yep. Translate and then getting into quality. So it, it, it gives you a framework to think about it. 
um, with all these other little things that can come up. So I have a couple questions about the process of the book. So does writing energize you or exhaust you? You know, for me, if I know the topic a week before and I just noodle it in the back of my brain, when I sit down to write, it just comes out. That's good. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's but I can't, if you just tell me, oh, sit down and write something about this, I'll be like, ah, ah you know, but, it, <laughs> but if, as long as I can think about it in the back of my mind, I can really quickly pop it out. And so I nice. like that. Okay. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then I want to know, what did you edit out of this book? Because there's got to be something that, that didn't make it in. You know what? There was nothing that it was edited out, but some of the stories from when I used them at the beginning of the book, I had forgotten and I liked the example. So I put them in the end of the book and luckily the uh, copywriter got to it and said, uh, you already used this story. So then I had to go, oh, okay, I'll come up with another one. And then by that point, I'm like, have I used that one before in the book? Because I have... You know, I tell so many stories and I come across all these all the time and we're always putting information out on our email newsletter. You can sign up for tidbits or we're putting it out on social media. I mean, we've got tons of information, but there's I do have some favorite ones that can illustrate the story really, really well. So I think that's what had to come come out. Yeah. And I understand that you didn't necessarily want to repeat the same story because you have to pull people in. So one of the fascinating stories in there was about the the official language of the Olympics, which I absolutely had no idea of. And I doubt everybody knows this. So listeners, French is the official language of the Olympics. Wendy, can you tell us briefly, without giving away everything in the book, how that came about? Yeah, it was a Frenchman that decided to restart the Olympics back, you know, when they did it. You know, it had been originally in Greece. And then they went dormant for dormant for a couple hundred years. And he said, you know, this is a cool thing. Let's let's develop it. And so French became the official language. And the you know, that's the the local language, French and English are the three languages that are always broadcast at the Olympics. But English is not the official language. And I don't even know if you know that English is not the official language of the United States. Uh, no, but you need to explain that because I'm curious now. <laughs> yeah, the United States has no official language. Wow, none. None. That's so incredible. even countries that have three official languages, English might be one of them, they can complain that somebody's not speaking the official language. <laughs> but for all you naysayers out there who are complaining that if you come to the United States, you should, you should speak English, it's not even our official language. Oh, I love that. I, I'm going to use that <laughs> fact now because I love that. Isn't that? I had to go research that when I learned it. And I'm like, yep, that's true. It's kind wow. of exciting. That's yeah. interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. It's also fascinating to me that French is the official language of the Olympics. I would have thought, frankly, it was Greek, but not a lot of people speak Greek. Right. <laughs> uh, right. But then for me, growing up, it was about learning and making sure I understood business English because English was an official language everywhere I went. And it's still a global language, but it is not the global language. And you talk about in your book about learning global English and how important it is and how important it is to be succinct and simple and really stay away from cultural norms and idioms because they don't translate well. I think that was a really 
good lesson for me in your book is how to write for a global audience. So I appreciate it. Yes, yes. I think that's so important is, is that if you speak English as your native language, you're very blessed because you can go a lot of places and you can do business. Um, and if you write English for marketing, you tend to be very creative and cutesy and unique. Yes. Yet that is very poor writing. If you're going to go global, you're better off writing a very clear, direct, you know, and you can pick a mood to do it, but write well, because your meaning can really be lost when it's translated. Now, to those people who are exporting or doing global business saying, oh, yeah, I don't need to translate. Everybody speaks English. All the research shows that your buyers will come to your website. Now, I just read um, a research report from Common Sense Advisory that they did this past year, and they do it every few years on whether global English is the language that you can do business in and how it's that accepted. And people think it is, but if you're only doing business in English, you're going to run into more and more problems yeah. because it used to be that the big companies were global. Yeah. And so they could keep it in English. The local people would go that were bilingual that had some English skills yeah. would go to the website and they would read it and they would order from it because there were no other options. Right. And then if you're a marketing person, and you're staying and you're watching your metrics and you see people from the country come and they stay longer, you think, ooh, they're really engaged. Well, what they're finding out is there are no other options. They're staying longer because their language skills aren't as good. Right. If they had a preference, I mean, if they had an option, they'd prefer to go in their native language so they'd click away. And more and more local companies or smaller companies are doing translation and giving options. And people who are shopping will even spend more money if they can get the information in their native language. Yeah. Now, those are the people that are by, you know, that have some language skills. When right. you go into no language skills, you've just completely lost that population because they don't trust it. Now, here's here's another fascinating point that I read in that research is people are willing to buy from you if you have an English only we website. Yeah. If they have some language skills and there's no other option. Right. But if you don't have post sales materials uh -huh. in language there's a 75% chance that they won't return. Wow. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's an incredible statistic. So it's yeah. really about the whole re or the whole journey of the, of the consumer is ensuring the fact that they can understand because if there's that, there's that level of non-understanding, you're not going to bring them back. And they're certainly not going to tell their friends and colleagues. No, no, it's all about the attract, engage and delight. And that's what I talk about in the book. I tie it all into your marketing strategy so it doesn't seem like an offshoot. But you hit it right on the head, the nail on the head. You know, see, so here, here I am talking in idioms. Um, an idiom in your book, even. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll say uh, you said it perfectly that marketing is emotion. You want to okay. understand. You want to feel connected. You want to refer your friends. And so that's what language does yes. is it connects you and makes you feel warm. And that's what makes you buy. 
And it does. And most yeah. marketers understand that. So, And that sounds like we're talking about consumer products, but I want to get back to manufacturing oh. equipment yep. because it counts for them too. Yep. We worked with a company that went over to do a presentation. It was business to business products that, you know, it was like protective equipment from, you know, police or military or something like this. And, um, they were the only ones who translated their PowerPoint presentation into Korean. Amazing. None of the other ones did, even though the presentation was all, the discussions were all held in English. Oh. They won it because their presentation, they learned that later. It's that little extra and it really is, it's deferential, but it is paying attention to yes. what's out there and making that connection because those human connections are really what make people feel warm and understanded and, yes. and they come back then. So, yes. So Wendy, two last questions. The first is what book is currently on your bedside table? Are you still reading yours? Or are you into something new? Oh yes. I'm reading your book. Oh, no, because no. You watch on April 9th. <laughs> I am so excited to read it. Okay, I mean, so for those of you who don't know, we're both an EO, <laughs> Entrepreneurs Organization, and there's a MyEO, Authors and Speakers. And yeah. so I get to find out about the other members who are writing books. And Andrea's I found out about, and I read the first couple of pages, and it is lined up, and I'm so excited. So you have to take, I know you didn't expect that, no, but I didn't you have that. to take a, a moment and tell us about your book. <laughs> I mean, so very briefly, my book actually launches on April 7th, which is my 15th Seventh. birthday, uh, because I have a, a an idea of go big or go home. So that's why I'm doing it that, uh, but it's called Stronger on the Other Side. It is a motivational memoir that really takes a deep look at some of the befores and afters of my life, but also is structured in such a way that it helps people as a workbook get to the other side of their own stuff. So it's really about taking an inner look and realizing that we have the power to choose happy in whatever situation we're in. We cannot control what happens to us, but we can always control our attitude. I love that. I love that. And it's a lesson that can always be learned. And I've got two people right now that I'm going to send it to. <laughs> so I know they're struggling with some very ha hard stuff. And so I think that will be very good for them. So, and I know from the first few pages that you're a good writer, so. <laughs> well, but so are you. I thoroughly enjoyed reading your book and I've enjoyed this conversation. So Wendy, tell me, where can your readers purchase your book? Oh, heck, go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Goodreads. You can get an e-copy, you can get a hard copy. So yeah, all the, you know, Amazon, just go there, get it. Awesome. Let me know. Let me know. Give me a, please, please, please give me a review and be honest about it because I've got a second and a third book in, in, in plans already. And I want to know how I can improve. So. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Wendy, this has been a really fun conversation today. I'm so impressed by you. Thank you for sharing your thoughts about the language of global marketing. Oh, and thank you so much, Andrea. I really, really feel so honored that you were willing to come and do this and interview me on this show. So uh, best of luck to you in your launch. And to you. Thanks, Wendy. Thank you. That's a wrap for this session. A big thanks to you for listening to the Global Marketing Show. Hope you had just as much fun as I did. New sessions launch weekly on all places you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on our website. 
If you know someone interested in this topic, please tell them about us. Au revoir for now.